Gideon lesson four. We've been calling this a blueprint for leadership. And this is our final lesson. We'll take the next two weeks to teach it. And we call this one the, the, really the selection to lead or selected to lead. Just because God has called you doesn't mean he'll select you. And that's one of the truths of the gospels as Jesus said many times, uh, many are called, but few are chosen. And now when applied to salvation, we know everybody is called to salvation, but Jesus said, few be they that enter therein. But we know that he wants everybody, whosoever will can be born again. So he's called the whole world in that regard, but we know that only a few will enter therein. And it honestly seems as the times get worse, few and few folks, fewer and fewer folks are selecting to enter in. Few and fewer folks are selecting to walk with Jesus. Now you're here this morning because you want to walk with God. So let's see what this, how these verses apply to you in leading. And again, just as a reminder, God has leadership for every one of you. That doesn't mean everybody's going to be the president. It doesn't mean everybody's going to be a CEO. That doesn't mean everybody's going to be a pastor. But every one of you is called to lead in some capacity. Uh, lead your neighbor to Christ. I've often kind of wondered now, how come God uses me to win some people, but he uses somebody else to win somebody close to me? You know, he just, for some reason, he chooses who he's using. And oftentimes it's whoever's available to be selected. And so maybe he uses you to win your family, but maybe not. Maybe he uses somebody else. But we want to all qualify to be selected for some form of leadership. There's probably no greater honor once you've been born again that the Lord would choose to use you in some kind of leadership position. Uh, don't envy my position. Don't envy a Dr. Barclay position. Don't envy a Billy Graham position. With that comes tremendous pressure and opposition. But you ought to be striving for some form of leadership. God's put it in every one of you. And in that regard, you'll never really have a fulfilled life until you're leading in some capacity. The kingdom of God is within us and a kingdom, the word in the Greek for kingdom is not an actual kingdom. It's not, you know, like the castle and the territory. The word for kingdom in the Greek means the authority to rule and reign in the kingdom. So the kingdom of God is within us or the authority and the right to lead and to rule and reign is within every one of us. And so if you're not using that, you've got to be most miserable. It's like a tool in the shed that never gets selected, never gets chosen. It's like a hunting rifle that never gets to go hunting. It's like a vehicle that sits and just rusts. And I've got to believe most Christians, they don't realize it, but they're miserable because they're never rising up to the thing that God's put on the inside of them. So every one of us is called to lead in some kind of capacity. You have it. You have the ability to lead your children. You have the ability to lead your family. You have the ability to lead a coworker to Christ. You have the ability to rise up for promotion on your job. You have the ability to lead. And uh, if you're miserable, you may start searching there. Maybe you're not rising up to lead in the capacity God wants you to. The only reason you wouldn't is either one, you don't know you can, or two, you're lazy. Laziness comes with a whole bag of excuses. None of them are justifiable. If you're called to lead, then you rise up and lead. So let's look at our lesson here. This covers Judges chapter 6, 33 through 35. As we have seen, God calls many men and women to leadership roles in his kingdom, but he chooses only a few for actual service. We have studied how to recognize the calling of God, how to prove the calling of God, and how to consecrate ourselves for the calling. We will now study what it means to be selected by God. And there is a difference between calling and selection. Oftentimes in ministry circles, people get in pride over their calling, their calling, their calling, their calling. And, and great that you're called, but if that's all you do is talk about your calling for 20 years, something's broken. 
And we, we have experienced that in this ministry to some degree, to boast for 25 years of a calling. We're called, we're called, we're called. Well, the question is, you've been called for so long, but how come God's never selected you? He's not forgotten you're there. He's been calling. And you, you're talking, it's like, I think I use this example here, maybe it was in Africa. It's like you're bragging that your phone is ringing. It's ringing, it's ringing, it's ringing. God is calling, God is calling, God is calling. Look at me. And you run around for 20 years. Eh, he's calling, he's calling, he's calling, he's calling, he's calling. We're called to go. We're called to lead worship everywhere. We're called to preach. We're called. Look, he's calling. And everybody's like, you going to answer it? No. It's just fun to talk about being called. I'm called, I'm called, I'm called, I'm called. It would probably be better for you to hit answer. This is your son. Send me. It's that simple. Many are called, but few are actually selected. And how many times is the Lord putting phone calls out there to people and they never pick up? They never say, here am I, Lord, send me. Of course, when you say here am I, what you're saying is I'll do whatever it takes. Maybe the Lord doesn't select many people because they're not willing to say, here am I, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll burn whatever idol, I'll sell whatever good, I'll put to death whatever ego, I'll make whatever decision, I'll consecrate, I'll eliminate whatever problem, I'll change whatever quirky personality things in me. Most folks, I think, perhaps know that if they answer, now they're responsible. Anybody here ever ignored a phone call? Why? You don't want to have the conversation. I'm really good at it. I look at them like, I'm not talking to them. Somebody texted me last night, like nine o'clock at night, I'm studying the Bible. Hey, you got a second pastor? And I thought, you've not been in my church in two months. No, I'm not talking to you. You're interrupting my God time. Hopefully I'll see you in the morning. We can talk. I didn't say anything. I just ignored him because I didn't want to have the conversation. Christians do that with Jesus Christ all the time. One of the things about Abraham, when you look closely at the life of Abraham, there's about a 13 year lull of silence where God does not speak to Abraham. And in that time, Ishmael is born, then Ishmael is, is circumcised or, or consecrated, then Isaac is born. But there's a 13 year period where God doesn't talk to Abraham, but you also never see Abraham try to talk to God. Because when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's a two way street. If one person is doing all the talking, it's not a relationship. And God is not so belligerent or so rude. He, can, he reads between the lines better than we do. If you're never responding, he'll just stop talking. And so you decide, Lord, I want to have this walk with you again. And then he'll start talking to you. But as it is, and as we've taught around here for many years, you've got to go back and do the last thing he told you to do. What's the last thing he dealt with you to do? Until then, don't expect to hear anything new from him. You go do the last thing you know to work on. That's the last assignment. Well, you know, I'm, I'm so glad that the Department of Transportation doesn't start projects and never finish them. Because we'd have bridges all over the state that are just kind of in certain levels of completion. I'm so thankful even TDOT, and I've worked extensively with them for many years, they start a project and they see it through to completion. And when the Lord starts a project in your life, He's expecting you to see it through to completion. And don't expect Him to talk to you about anything else until you fix that thing, that family problem, that personal problem, that heart issue, that lust issue, that ego issue, that laziness issue. You're dead in the water until you finish the last thing He told you to do. So there's a difference between calling and selection. Let's look at this section, facts about God's selection. 
Uh, all, there are three words that are translated the same, the word chosen, the word election, and the word selection. So when you study the King James, which is what I study extensively, the, Greek, the King James translates the word eklektos, chosen, elected, selected. So it means to select, to elect, and to choose. When you start dealing with the subject of predestination, predestinationists, which are mostly Presbyterians who are what are called Calvinists and Calvinism, they like to use the term the elect, the elect, the elect, the elect. And they have in their vernacular in theology have kind of developed a contextual definition for the elect as in those that God chooses to call and calls out and everybody else is going to hell because God wants them to. That's not a proper hermeneutical definition of this word. Hermeneutics, of course, is allowing the Bible to interpret itself. You can't just take two verses and interpret them one against the other. You've got to find 15 other verses that talk about the same thing and paint this giant picture with it. All right. We're not trying to connect the dots between two points. You know, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Some goofy doctrines are built that way. We're not interested in straight lines. We want lines that produce arcs, that produce circles. So then we have the full picture. So when we're dealing with election, selection, and being chosen, we're talking about God using you, God selecting you. And there's always a qualifier for it. Let's look at this. This word in the Greek is of military usage in reference to the choosing of an individual or a group for special duty. So when God chooses you or elects you or selects you to be eklektod, as the Greek says, eklektod, it means to be selected, it's a military term, to be selected for special duty. That's awesome. If you've been eclectoed, and if you're born again, every one of you has been eclectoed, you've been chosen for special duty. You're called out and you've been chosen. Also of political usage in connection with a person elected to an office or duty. Now this is where it differs from our American mindset. In our American mindset, when you're elected, you've been voted. Right? That's what we mean to be elected. That's an elected official. Now we get that from the Greek, but the Greek definition for election is not the American democratic definition. So stick with me here. In the Greek, if you've been eclecto for political position, in these such elections, the background of the candidate and his qualifications were the basis of his election, not popular vote. So it hurts us as a mind, as an American mind, to think election is not about being voted, but it's you qualify for it. So we elect you. I elect Will. Why? He has all the qualifications. So that's what you saw in Acts 5 with the first deacon board being selected. They had three qualifi qualifications. They had to be full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom and have a good report. Based on those three qualifications, they were elected to the deacon board. They weren't voted upon. It wasn't a popular vote. It was a vote or excuse me, it was a selection based on qualifications. So when we start talking about being called, everybody gets called, but you only get chosen or selected based on your qualifications. This is really how the whole world should run. You should be selected because you qualify. Now this is where affirmative action gets so, in our country gets so controversial because affirmative action hires minority people, minority being those who are non-white, because there's a quota to fill, not based on a qualification, but on a color. That's kind of like racism in the other direction. You're selecting people not because they're qualified, but because they're the right color. That to me is racism. 
it's a quota thing. I understand the original intent was to kind of desegregate everything and give people a chance. Great. But if, if I have an Asian person and I have a Hispanic person, they're both the same color. I want the one <laughs> who has the qualifications if we're talking about running a nuclear power plant. I'm not going to hire somebody because they're the right color. And God's not going to pick you because he needs somebody. He'll go without before he violates his word to pick you. That's what he said in Isaiah. He said, I searched to and fro for someone that was standing in the gap and I found no one. And so I did without. God is unlike anything the world has ever seen. He'll just do without and let the world suffer if he can't find what he's looking for. He does not settle for second best and he doesn't have a plan Q. He has his will and he'll always find somebody who will get with it. So political usage, these were based on qualifications, not popular vote. The election, and this is the other cool thing in the positive for our encouragement, the election furnished the individual with the authority necessary to accomplish the office. So if we elect Will because of his qualifications, then by being elected, he gets all the authority and power he needs to do the job we've elected him to. So when God elects you to be a Christian, you got born again, you get all the authority and all the power you need to do your job. When God elects you or selects you or chosen, it's all synonymous. When God chooses you to be a parent, he gives you all the authority and all the wisdom necessary to be a parent. If God sees fit to promote you on your job, even your boss will give you the authority necessary to do your job. And as I, I teach folks here from time to time, if somebody delegates authority to you, you'll be judged if you don't handle that authority properly. You'll be judged if you don't use it to get the job done. One of our greatest problems, and we're probably gonna deal with it next service, is we're afraid to provoke one another to good works because we're afraid of hurting people's feelings. But God Almighty commands you to provoke one another to do better. Now, in the American context, we want to say, leave me alone. Who are you to judge? I'm okay. You're okay. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says get in one another's business, not to meddle, but to say, you can do better than this. Where were you? You were in a church. Why aren't you praying? Where's your joy? Where's your countenance? That's what we're commanded to do. We get afraid to do that because we're, we're afraid of the flack we might catch. We're afraid that they might get offended at us for doing the Bible. But if you're in a leadership position, God's going to judge you for how you use that authority because you're, you've been given that authority to lead and to bring whatever you've been set over in line with the word of God. If I, as the pastor of this church, have been given authority, and I have, if I don't use it to keep this church clean, if I don't use it to keep perverts out, if I don't use it to keep uh, unity in place, if I don't use the authority to keep things running smoothly, I will be in trouble with God. And God will say, I gave you every tool necessary to make that church what I wanted it, and you did nothing with it. Why? I was afraid what they would think. It ain't gonna fly. And so when you are selected and when you are chosen, you have been given the authority to do the job at hand. If you're a dad, you've been given the authority to lead your home and you will be judged by God. I know that's not a popular TBN word. I'm reading the Psalms like I always do now. I, I'm amazed at how many times, how many Psalms talk about God being judgmental. He will come and judge the earth in righteousness. Even the Psalmist said many times, come and judge us, O God. We, I think we're going to start to see in the years ahead the judgmental aspect of God's nature. For 20 years, we've emphasized the Rolex providing aspect. Wait, that's not in the Bible. We've emphasized the jet. Uh, no, uh, I don't even know what we've emphasized the last 20 years. But I've got a lot of Bible. Just Google search or do Blue Letter Bible search for judge. 
and see how many hundreds of times the Lord the righteous judge is mentioned. We're going to see that. He will judge you for not being a good dad. He will judge you for not being a good husband because as a father, you're a leader and you don't have a right to tuck tail and run from that position. You're there. You got to deal with it. Lead your wife, lead your children. And once you get that down pretty good, God will promote you and give you a little bit more. I've learned by now, still being young, that God doesn't really care what I want. He never asks me. He has maybe asked me once. Actually, he did ask me once in 2001. He said, what is it I can do for you? But I had just worshiped him very vehemently in desperation. It's the only time he's ever asked me what I wanted. In that instant, I asked him something according to his will and I got it. But when it comes to what he wants, he doesn't ever ask for your input. If he says, he says, Will, I've, I'm going to give you this. Will can't say, I don't want that. Will's got to say, whatever, yes, Lord. And it becomes our responsibility to develop a heart for it. If you have a wife and a child, it's time to be a man. You've been called, somehow or another, you got selected. Now you've been given all the authority necessary to walk it out, so you must walk it out. Wives are looking to their husbands to hear from God. Wives are looking to their husbands to make the wise decisions. Wives are looking to their husbands to know what to do. Wives are looking to their husbands to hear from God better than anything else. Wives are looking to their husbands to lead the charge. And gentlemen, we cannot fail our wives. And as the head, God's going to speak to us before he speaks to anybody because that's how the chain of command works. The president does not call up the private in Afghanistan and tell him what to go do. The president talks to the joint chiefs and then they delegate. And it goes down the chain of command to all the way to the grunt cooking scrambled eggs in the barracks. And it came from the president. God's going to take, uh, speak to the husband first. You ought to be excited about being selected for a leadership position because it means God's going to talk to you about what's under you. Would to God more people would rise up. Your election is your responsibility. And that, of course, assumes you want it. As I pastor more and more, I realize some folks don't want responsibility. They don't want to lead. They don't want to be given anything. I, we're, we're more infected with this lazy Hollywood thing than we realize. We, just, we want to just sit there and be spoon-fed. We don't want to rise up and change anything. We don't want to rise up and, 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 and affect anything. We want to just be left alone. Look, I got my house. I got my pension. I got my retirement. Just leave me alone. Oh. What good are you to the kingdom? What good are you to your family? I've got my bread and circuses as they did in Rome. In Rome, it was called Pan Am. What they would do is they would sell their right of authority. They would sell their voice of authority to the government so they could be provided with bread and entertainment the rest of their life. And that's how Rome was able to steal power from the people. They said, give up your right to vote. Give up your right of authority, your right to lead. And we'll make sure you're always taken care of with food and entertainment, bread and circuses. You can Google search it. There's all sorts of papers and philosophical records on bread and circuses. And we're watching Christians do it for free. We're just giving up our authority because we've already been given bread and circuses. We have our food and we have our Netflix and we have our dish network and we have our iPhone. I'm too, I'm too busy to be bothered, God. I'm too busy living the possum holler dream. I'm too busy living it up like a white middle-class American. Boy, isn't that a lifestyle worth 
hip, hip hooraying about. Lord, I'm too busy living it like a white middle-class American. Why are you bothering me? Can't you see I'm on my iPhone? Can't you see I'm beating Angry Birds Star Wars? Don't you know how many friends I got on Facebook? I got a Facebook ministry, Lord. I, I, I'm just happy just coming to church and tithing. I, look, I'm living the dream, Lord. That's as big as you can dream? That's it? That. Now, there's people in Paws and Holler have outdone you. Don't even know God. So this is something we've got to really stretch for. If, if you're interested in doing what God wants to do. Now this is all home folks, so I'll just tell you this. I march a lot faster than most of you do because I'm determined to do something for God. I did not get saved and give my life to Jesus Christ to live like possum holler and to have a middle-class white existence. I got born again and gave my heart to God because I was stupid enough to believe I could change the world. I was stupid enough to believe that Jesus Christ with one person could change anything. And we, we're still struggling with the, the snake charming voice of the Middle Tennessee experience. And we've been charmed and, and allured and hypnotized by Possum Holler. And God has called every one of us to lead. I would almost begin to pray that some of you would begin to lose your comfort. I would almost begin to pray some of you would lose your income. I would almost pray that some of you would begin to lose your homes. So you would wake up and cry out to God once again. You don't have to lose that stuff to cry out to God, but the Bible does say when he smote them, then they sought him. The psalmist said that. Why does God have to smite us for us to serve him? Because we are ignorant, stubborn people like Israel always was. The Bible says all the Old Testament is written as an example to us that we would not be partakers of their idolatry. And yet we do. And God wants to use us to do great things. And we're just living it in an Amish paradise or a possum holler paradise or a gangster's paradise or a white cracker, middle Tennessee, 40,000 a year paradise. Aren't you just living it up? You'll go down in the annals of history as blah. <laughs> Either we're in the end of all things or we can just keep marching on like white zombies thinking you're doing God a favor and not a person here done God a favor yet. There's not a one of us that has jumped up and rung his bell where he would say, did you see that? Did you see what they just did? There's not a one of us here that's done that. Hopefully that'll motivate you. Hopefully it offends you a little bit. Stir your own self up. Let's keep reading here. Your election is your responsibility, assuming you want to lead. This thing preached a lot more excited in Uganda because all those young people want to go do something for God. <laughs> that, that, those young folks want to go do something for God. They're, they're just hungry to do something for God. They, they're jumping at the opportunity to have hope built in their heart. You mean I can do something greater than what my family living in a hut has always known? Absolutely, man. I believe it. You know, we, we have got our white, middle-class American thing down pat and we're comfortable. We have our cable, we have our air conditioning, we have our vehicles. And for all that convenience, God still inconveniences us. For all that convenience, God still inconveniences us. And we are put out when God inconveniences us. I don't want to see persecution come to America, but if it'll wake the church up, God help us.
I'm reading a book right now about the Japanese persecution of Christians in the 17th century. There was a tremendous revival of Christianity in Japan in the 1600s, 1630, 1660. They had over 500,000 folks convert to Christianity in 100 years, 500 years ago, based on Portuguese Jesuits. And they were converting to Jesus Christ left and right. Even the daimyos and the lords of Japanese feudal uh, lineage were getting born again, giving their heart, putting off their kimonos and wearing Jesuit robes, and they were worshiping Jesus Christ. Until the devil got upset with it and he began persecuting them. The ironic thing is one of the guys that rose up was a, is a, a Lord Iyasu, uh, spelled Iyasu, which ironically is exactly how they pronounce Jesus in Japanese, is Iyasu. And he began to torture them and martyr them. And these beautiful Japanese people would gladly be burned to death because they would not denounce Jesus Christ. They tortured lots of them many, many ways. And uh, I was just reading a story about there were these leaders of churches and one of them had a wife and a daughter. They said, either denounce Jesus or we will take you to the springs and torture you with boiling water. They said, well, you might as well go ahead and do it here because marching us there is not going to make us change our mind. So they marched them up to the mountains. They wouldn't recant. They kept them. They starved them for a couple of days. They wouldn't recant. Then one by one, they'd take them out. They'd tie them to a pole by the, the hot springs and they'd scoop boiling water and just drip it on them. And they wouldn't even make a sound. And they took the, the one pastor's daughter, apparently in her teens or 20s, and they began to pour boiling water on her naked body. And she fainted. And they said, ah, oh, she has recanted. She has apostatized. She no longer believes. When she came to, she said, no, 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 I didn't. Please continue torturing me. Please. She, it says they, she begged them to continue torturing her. She begged them. And they said, nope, you apostatized your savior. Uh, you're done. She begged them. This teenage girl begged to be tortured because she said, I just passed out. I didn't recant. And they went up, they ended up sending her to a house of ill repute, I guess made a prostitute out of her. And I can't even get some of you to get excited about helping God. And 500 years ago, Japanese people were tortured. The other one they found, all this torture could not make any of them recant. So they had to come up with a more wicked torture. So the one they found that worked, they tie them real tight all the way up to their shoulders, pressurize them, then hang them upside down. So all the blood would swell to their head. Then they make a slit in their forehead so it could drain. And it would take them up to 14 days to die like that under excruciating pain. I don't under, and they would leave one arm free so they could signal, I give in, I'll denounce Jesus. And here we are. God's blessed us with our bread and circuses. And we're just a bunch of fat, lazy, slobbish American whites. And God wants to choose every one of us for leadership. He wants to select us to do something greater. Those folks, there was another story where they burned them alive and over 30,000 Japanese showed up to watch 250 American, uh, Christians, uh, Japanese Christians be burned alive. And the, it rained the night before, so the wood took a long time to burn. But those 250 Christians just stood there with their children and they sang hymns. They could have run. They didn't. The devil knows persecution makes the church stronger. It caused the church in Japan in the 1600s to flourish even more. And even when they'd killed almost all their priests and padres, it still continued to flourish. 
There's a famous Japanese samurai named Musashi Minamoto. He's like their king author. He was used to kill over 500 Christians with a wooden stick to wipe out the Christian population on Okinawa. <laughs> and we can't even get Americans to drive to church three services a week and to rise up and serve and lead their home. These are serious times we live in. And it is the church's fault America is as pathetic as it is. And I've said that so many times. I would ask all of us to judge ourselves. Lord, am I to blame for the condition of my nation? Am I to blame for the condition of my church? Am I to blame for the condition of my family? Because there's not a one of us in here who could not mean more business for Jesus. Not doing more works, but just have more of a heart. More of a heart to love God. I don't know if there's a one of us here, unless the grace of God can't pause. I don't know if one of us here would want to be burned at the stake or beg, please keep pour, pouring boiling water on me. I just fainted. But those were our brothers and sisters in Christ 500 years ago. Uh, Matthew 22:14. For many are called and invited, but few are chosen, selected, eclectos. Many are called, but few are chosen. How does God make his selection? So here's where we'll deal with predestination a little bit. A calling is unprofitable if you are never selected to use it. So how does one qualify to be used of God and answer the call? How do you get God to pick you? He's called you. How do you get him to pick you? Romans 11:5 gives us the hint, the clue. Even so, then at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. There will always be a remnant according to the election of grace. That's the same Greek word, eklektos, means to be selected. The remnant of God's people are those that are selected based upon the grace of God being in their life. So the number one thing God looks for in our lives to use us is grace, his favor, his unmerited favor, his ability in us. Someone who is under the, is just used to always asking God for help. If you're used to asking God for help, he's going to use you. If you're always saying you can do it on your own, he's never going to use you because you, you will never use him to help you. Therefore, he'll never get the glory. You're just used to you always doing it, figuring out, and you get the credit. He's always going to go and use those that are used to calling out to God, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me. And the remnant will always be based upon those who have humbled themselves and said, Lord, help me. Help me. And when you can get God to help you in every area of your life, you, you are a good proponent, a good candidate to being selected of God for whatever he wants. Gideon did this. He was always crying out for help. He was always judging himself. And even when he was a nothing farm boy, God said, you're going to be my next military leader. When he yet knew nothing. According to this verse, God picks or selects his leaders based on the presence of God in their life. We could also define grace as the presence of God in your life. His, his favor upon you, his mercy upon you, his ability upon you. You don't have to be a preacher to have the grace of God on your life. You could, you could own a, a sanitary septic system business and have abundant grace saying, Lord, help me get more business. Lord, help me grow a septic system. Lord, help me understand the chemistry of this. You know, I'm trying to think of the stinkiest job you can think of. That guy who wears gloves up to his elbows, you know, and comes home smelling stinky and, you know, your poop's his bread and butter. That guy could have more grace on his life than you because he's always talking, Lord, Lord, help me get my route in. Lord, help me manage these finances. Lord, help me please these customers. And he's just used to getting God helping him in his, his affairs. God will use that guy more than he'll use a preacher. Or you can be just a kindergarten teacher. Lord, help me. I don't know how to help five-year-old kids. 
Lord, these kids are broken. Their families are messed up. And that teacher, that kindergarten teacher, have more grace on their life than a preacher because they're used to always crying out. Or Lord, help me play the trumpet. Lord, help me play the violin. Lord, help me manage my money. Lord, help me be a better wife. Help me be a better mother. One of the things my wife and I pray every night is, Lord, help us to be better parents. I need the grace of God to be a good parent. We woke up this morning. Lydia was disobeying. We whipped her first thing this morning. It was the first time it's been hard on my heart. Just crying because she didn't want to do what she, what I wanted her to do. And she kept getting a whipping for it. First thing out of the crib, getting spanked. First thing. All I said is give daddy a kiss. No. Honey, I will spank you. And she just kept right wringing her back and arching her back. I said, all right. So I grabbed her, swatted her butt, made her cry. Well, give me a kiss. Arched her back even more. I ended up spanking her about three or four times. Squalling. Arching, sobbing. <gasps> And finally, give daddy a kiss. And just like that, all right, we're all done. The proverb says, don't stop for their much crying. This one was actually hard. I walked out of the nursery and said, honey, can you help me? She said, not my problem. <laughs> I said, this is hard on me. She said, you ought to try hearing it from here. I was like, I don't know what to do. She said, you, you, she, my wife said, you have to win. So I whipped her again. And we got her to give me a kiss because it's all about the will. My little girl doesn't get to have a will. I don't get to have a will. And shame on any parent that allows their children to make choices. You're not far from being like the ones in Colorado that let their little children choose their sex. When you give kids a choice, <laughs> amen. They don't always choose wisely. God picks or selects his leader based on the presence of grace in their life. Grace can simply be defined as heaven's help. It would only make sense that God is going to choose people who have heaven's help already working in their life. You, you've got to have heaven's help working in your life before God picks you. Because if he picks you and then you've got to start learning how to get heaven's help in your life, that's a bad learning curve. He's going to promote folks that who in the little things have learned to get heaven's help. Because when God promotes you, you take a step up. You've got to get more of heaven's help. So and then it's just a step up in the way you already live your life. But if you've never learned to get heaven's help in your life, you'll never be selected because you don't know how to get heaven's help. And to do what God's called you to do, you need heaven's help. That's our simple definition of grace, heaven's help. It would only make sense that God is going to choose people who have, who have heaven's help already working in their life. These individuals are already accustomed to trusting in God and requiring his help. Also notice it is a remnant that is chosen. This is in line with Matthew twenty-two fourteen. 14. Only a few are chosen. So think about that. God only uses a select few. And here we are teaching this, saying that God wants to use you. So you ought to consider yourself privileged and honored. If we're teaching this, it means God wants to use you. You can rise up and do greater things for God. The sky's the limit, really. A couple months ago, we, when, when um, we had some guest ministers with us, their pastor was here. That man didn't get saved till he was 60 or 65. He's in his 80s now. He didn't start his church till he was in his late 60s. Didn't get born again till 60 or 65, had a call of God on his life, and in his 60s rose up, qualified, pastored a church, grew it to several thousand, walked the church through a multi-million dollar building project, turned the church over, moved to Sparta, 
and is now pioneering another work in Franklin in his 80s. So this thing's never too late. It's never too late to get after it if you want to. It's never too late to get after it. Even the parable with the guy in the vineyard, he was hiring workers all day long and all paying them the same reward. I'm, I'm going to be one that will have labored for Lord, the Lord all my life, but my reward will be the same that decides, but the same for the person who in the end of their life decides to get after something. I might have spent 50 years longer serving God, but their reward will be the same according to the parable. So it's never too late to get after it, but just, you know, try to dry up the selfish well. Try to dry it up. Realize there's more to this life than you are for and no more. And you don't have a right to keep your light and hide it under a bushel. You have to take that bushel out and then go find a bunch of sticks and build the fire even brighter. Maybe find some diesel. James 4, 6, he giveth more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So now when we talk about this doctrine of predestination, it makes sense. There is an election according to grace. And so who God is electing or selecting are those who God who sees humility in. God does not select prideful people. God resists prideful people. He would select humble kings and then destroy them for their pride. He told Saul, King Saul, were you not selected when you were small in your own eyes? Uzziah resisted in his pride. Hezekiah resisted in his pride. David resisted in his pride. God selects the humble and he resists the proud. The quickest way to fall from God's grace is just P-R-I-D-E, which often manifests itself through selfishness. This is who I am. And ain't nobody going to change me. This is who I want to be. Well, that didn't take long to achieve. <laughs> You're dreaming big again, aren't you? <laughs> like somebody said, man, you peaked in high school. I don't want to be a Christian that had my greatest day ever in high school. I peaked in college. Now, I'm still on the upward climb. I don't know where the peak is. I'm going to keep pressing towards it. Maybe my peak will be the rapture. But then we have the millennial reign. So typically it only goes up from there because now I'm over a church in the millennial reign. I should be over nations. So, and then beyond that, we don't even know. So it keeps going up from there. That he might show forth his grace and his mercy in the ages to come. So I'm just amazed at Christians who have eternal life on the inside and they're happy because they peaked in college. That was the most excited I ever was, was in college. I like what they asked Pastor Vaughn, are you more, are you more excited about Jesus today? Or, or, and he said, no, I'm more excited. They, they said, are you in do you love Jesus more today than ever? Or did, ha have you lost it? He said, no, I'm more in love today than I've ever been. And we as a Christian, we often have the ability to lose our flame and our zeal and back off. Especially in America, you've been told you can retire. Shame on you. You don't get to retire from God. I'm glad he'd never retired from being my high priest and washing me every day. First Peter 5, 5, likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yes, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. So humility is something we can put on. If we can put that on, we ought to be able to take pride off. So really getting over pride is just as simple as desiring to lay it off and to clothe ourselves with humility. For God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Every one of us has been resisted. It's miserable. It stinks. 
It's uncomfortable. It's a rough day every day. It's an ugly day. Nothing's ever happy. Nothing's ever good enough. I, I have come to this epiphany. I was sitting the other day and I, it struck me. I'm going to tell off on all of us men. I think men are jerk, grouch idiots because we want to control everything. I think the reason American men have the ability to be a grouchy jerk, now maybe not every man, but probably 90% of us, that's the thing we fight with the most is that grouchy jerk. And it just, it came to me out of the blue. I was like, that, that's it. We like to control everything. And that, be, that produces this excuse. Well, if it's not in my control, then I have the right to be a jerk. The problem is if you really have this gift to control everything, Turn it on yourself and start fixing yourself first. But when you have grace in your life, it's all right if things aren't perfect. It's all right. It'll, it'll go another day. It'll, it'll, it doesn't have to be done. But if you can realize the number one reason you're grouchy is because you want to be in control and you'll never, ever be in control. There'll always be something out of your control. And it, it's honestly a manifestation of the works mindset. It's exhausting. And so you men, you know how we are. You come home and some, just one thing is not right and you become this grouchy jerk and you're just, you're mean to the kids and you're grouchy with your spouse. And it's because you're a control freak. You've got this thing where you have to control everything. And part of that is a God-given thing. You are supposed to be in charge, but you have to be qualified to know what you're in charge of. And you also have to be graced to know how to handle it. It's really just an immature manifestation. Get grace in your life. It won't bother you when things are falling apart. You'll just start putting them back together again. God selects people based upon the grace in their life and grace is based upon a person's humility. God will not promote the arrogant and prideful. We must keep ourselves humble under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt and promote us in due time. So really what we're dealing with this morning is pride and control freakishness. And until you get both of those things fixed, you'll always be a miserable man. And, and some women, it's their thing too. So, you know, not every man is a control freak. Sometimes women are. Everything's got to be just perfect. Nah, nah. And you got to be willing to let go and just step back and say, it'll be okay. I don't have to control everything. You'll never be able to control things. Looney bins are full of people that are obsessed with controlling everything. You'll never control everything. Did you know the Lord God doesn't control everything? He doesn't control the comings and goings of demons. He uses our prayer to stop it. He doesn't control every one of your behaviors. He tries to stop them. God is not in control. Now, I know he's sovereign and he's in control, but he's not in control of everything. That would mean he's in control of the rapes and the murders and the pedophiles and everything he calls sin. We know he's not in control of that, but he is perfectly content in and of himself. And we've got to get to that place too. We're content in and of ourselves in Christ we don't have to control everything. And so perhaps if you're a man given to the grouchy spirit, like Oscar the Grouch, pray on your way home, Lord, give me grace to handle my spouse. Maybe you're a woman and you're grouchy. Uh, Lord, give me grace to handle my man and my children and my home. I know I'm going to get home. This house is going to be a mess. I know the kids are going to be drawing on the walls. You know, if you're a better parent, they wouldn't. Amen. If you were a better parent, they wouldn't draw on the walls. Children are smart. My wife and I were discussing this again yesterday. Isn't it amazing when your kids do something smart, you brag about how smart they are? My kid is like a savant, man. He's like, he's like Beethoven and Mozart and like Freud and, and Einstein in one. 
And then when your kid goes retard on you, I don't think he understands. I don't, I don't, I don't think, no, 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 no. Five minutes ago, you were talking about how he could problem solve anything. And he just, you know, played Beethoven's fifth on the kitty cat piano. And now they went drawing. I don't want to spank them. They don't understand. No. They, they, just the other day, yesterday, my, my wife called me. She said, let me tell you how smart our kid is. She's pointing at the, uh, the, the, the dresser under the sink in the bathroom, signing for dog. The, the sign language for dog is Pat, you know, too. She's pointing, patting, signing dog. And my wife's like, there's no dog in there. And she's like, peas and the signing dog. So my wife's like, all right. So should we open up the cabinet. There are dogs on the toilet paper. <laughs> Don't tell me your kid knows right from wrong when it comes to drawing on the walls. Whip them good and teach them no. If my little, uh, we never notice, you know, you don't, nobody knows what's printed on toilet paper. The fact that she knows that the little icon, just a little silhouette is a doggy. This is doggy, it's on the toilet paper, it's under the sink, I saw it, I want to it, because I like doggies. <laughs> Peace. 16 months. Your kid doesn't have to do the stupid stuff they do if you would discipline them. If there's anything in your kid you don't like, lead them out of it. Don't sit there and tolerate it. Kids are sharp. Very, very sharp. If you want them to be. Dull kids are just a product of no attention. I got a bunch of knives. They're only dull because I give them no attention. The ones that are sharp are sharp because I give them attention. Now, certain knives take more effort than others, absolutely, but if it's metal, it can take an edge. And so are kids. You can sharpen them. If you're willing to put the time into it. If not, just let them be dull as a crowbar. We must keep ourselves humble under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt and promote us in due time. Father, I thank you for our Sunday school lesson. Help us to continue to learn about this leadership through Gideon's life. Father, let us see you've called every one of us to lead and do better than what we're doing. Father, so many Christians are taking a back seat now. May we be the ones that at least rise up to be great for you. Father, I thank you for these men and women. Bless them in Jesus' name. Amen.